God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for your spirit that helps us to know what it means. And God, I just pray that you'll uh, empower for us with knowledge to understand and words to speak for us. Help us to be able to know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 13? Okay. All right. Do I have to have this, like, the sound coming out? Or can you record without the sound? Without the, without the boom, yeah. Okay, yeah, perfect. Okay, so what I first want to do is, since Glenn already prayed, um, I want to break up into groups so if we could, like, uh, move the chairs some and we'll have to move them back uh, when we leave um, because I'm not um, going to be preaching um, I've, I've thought a lot about should I lecture, just lecture, should I do it like I do a class, and so I decided I'm going to do it like I do one of my normal classes, okay? So we're going to do some, like, activities and stuff like that in, cla- in, in this class over the next six weeks. This week we'll be um, kind of o- introducing the book of Exodus and moving us from, um, from really Genesis, getting us up to the beginning of Exodus, and we'll talk about some biblical theology, um, and hopefully we'll get to know each other. Um, a little bit. So if you guys could break up into groups of like five or six um, in, in your little spots and there. And if you see people from the other congregation, maybe in, maybe mix congregations, it might be a good opportunity uh, for everybody to get to know each other. See, it's just like, I'll say it's just like I'm teaching a real class because I say groups of five to six and then it's like, it's just like one group, you know, and like, is 17 okay? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's fine. You guys are totally fine. It's totally fine. Okay. You can hang out there. That's fine. Oh, we're mixing the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now everyone in, in, introduce yourselves, of course. Um, I don't know everybody, so if we could all actually go around today. Um, sh- Michelle, would you start by introducing yourself? Do, uh, yeah, go ahead. Tell what church you go to and a uh, fun thing about yourself. I hate icebreakers. I know, I know. This is Kara. She was... Awesome. All right. So as you guys know, I'm Russ. I go to West um, and been here four years. My wife and I moved here uh, from Kansas City and I teach Old Testament and Hebrew at Louisiana College. Um, My passion, my heart is for um, bringing kind of academic life and the church together. Um, And so that's like what my, you know, sweet spot is. So I love this. This is going to be a lot of fun for me. It's my first opportunity to kind of do something like this since we've been here, and so I'm really excited about it. We had um, three children. That's why part of huge reason why we, you know, haven't done anything because it was just like baby, baby, baby. Story of everything, Britt. Yeah. Good. Okay. These are great questions, and a lot of these, like, I'm, it's good. Um, this is pretty much where I was going with a lot of this, um, and so. This is really helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. The idea here is just to kind of prime everyone to start thinking about, okay, what am I, like, why am I here? What am I thinking about? What are we going to be doing in this class? And um, I don't have the definitive answer on all of these things, but I can absolutely address them. Um, so my kind of process and role and, and 
the way I'm going to go through this class is really um, a biblical theological approach. And so um, what do I mean by biblical theology? So there's like, what? Oh, sorry. There's like, okay. So there's like different types of theology, right? Like systematic theology, which is where you're looking at the big, broad, who is God, who are humans, what is sin, um, those things. Biblical theology is you're taking the Bible and saying, okay, what does the Bible say about these particular things? And so we're going to be, I love the historical stuff and like the academic stuff and all of that, but we're going to be focusing on taking that stuff, these things like why is Exodus in the Bible, what's the significance of the plagues, how do the, how does the Egyptian deed, how do the Egyptian deities play into those things? Um, Moses as a mediator versus like the people as mediators. Egyptian culture, the sovereignty of God, all of these questions. Um, we're going to be looking at those like from the ground up, you know, so we'll be examining biblical passages and saying, what do these say about who God is, who we are, how we're supposed to live our lives in light of him, okay? So um, it's not the, uh, is the Wardville doing Exodus? Okay, at West, um, we're preaching through Exodus, the pastors are preaching through Exodus, so this is not like a sermon series. It's more of like what you would expect like if you took a class on Exodus, okay? Um, so yeah, these are really good questions. This is exactly kind of the way I want to go. And I'm really excited somebody brought up Tabernacle. Um, good. Any questions right now? All right. So this is going to be a little bit of a... Um, a repeat of what I talked about on Sunday. So if you were there Sunday, I for, please forgive me. Obviously, my wife did not listen because... Wait, were you in the service? Okay. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Yeah. Man, when you hear, like, your kid's voice constantly, it's really hard to focus on anything else than, like, that little, like, voice. Because it's like you're just, like... You develop? Okay, good. So that comes later in life? Okay. All right. Okay, so I promise we'll get out of here at 7. So um, I am going to lecture a little bit and talk a little bit. Um, this period, this class period, today... I want to kind of set up the book of Exodus and say, okay, where is the book of Exodus going? Someone said, why is the book of Exodus there? Um, this will tell us, set, set the stage for how we're going to understand why the book of Exodus is there. Um, in, this is why I, I said uh, when Britt asked her question about the practical implications, I said it's the true story of everything. Zach, if you're listening to this, we need an easel. Okay. Ronnie says there is one. Okay. Amazon. So the Zach, if you heard that, we need an easel. <laughs> so the Bible is the true story of everything. And um, I talked about on Sunday how we're storied 
people, as human beings, we have stories. Part of the icebreaker that Kara hated was you were like telling a little bit about your story. Who are you? That's part of your story. You got your name from your parents. Someone gave you that name. You didn't typically didn't give it to yourself. Um, and sometimes there's a story behind that name, right? Ari's name means lion. Um, his middle name is Zachariah. It means Yahweh remembers. And we named him that because we want him to be brave and strong like a lion. And because we want him to know that the Lord remembers. Um, we want him, his very name, to be a reminder his whole life that Yahweh remembers. And that comes from um, the book of Exodus, right? Where God hears the cries of the people and he remembers his covenant with Abraham, okay? Um, so hopefully as Ari gets older, his name itself will be a testimony uh, to him of, of who God is and what God will do in his life, you know? So that's part of his story. Um, when we meet people, we have a story to tell. That's how we get to know people. What, what do you do? Where did you grow up, you know? Um, I don't know if you guys were all um, in a later stage in life. Well, not all of us. Gina still, you know. Some of us are still young. But um, at this stage in life, I saw a meme the other day that was like, uh, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 30 or 12 close friends in his 30s, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, one of the things, especially like for me, I, you know, I grew up in Arkansas. I moved to Kansas City and Colorado and Idaho and back to Kansas City and then here uh, in Louisiana. So I've been around a lot, a lot of different places. And part, what that means, man, this thing is really irritating. Um, what that means is like those, it, it's difficult to develop relationships because people don't know my story a lot. I have a friend that I grew up with. I've, I've known him since I was like 11 years old. Um, we're still very good friends. We've stayed in contact, but part of the reason he's he's such a comfort to me is because I can he lives in Nashville now I can go to his house sit down on his couch and we can pick right back up like he knows me intimately like there's no there, there's no lag there's no break we don't have to tell each other stories like you know there's none of that and so the Bible getting back to um, why you know why Exodus is there and I think why the whole Bible is here why we have it is because it is the true story of everything it tells us who we are it tells us who God is, and it tells us where we're going, ultimately. Um, and so, setting up the book of Exodus. The Bible is the true story of everything. Of course, it starts out in creation. We're created in God's image. That's absolutely foundational for everything. Why would that be foundational? Allie. She was in my Old Testament class last semester. Sorry. Why is it foundational that humans are created in God's image? Mm-hmm. Good, yeah, so... so the Bible is written in this cultural context in which the competing, the competing narratives have the gods creating humans as slaves to like do work for them. The biblical narrative says like, no, you're created in God's image. I should have brought a picture. This word um, image in Hebrew is you'd have a. I'm gonna just draw like a crown on here. 
That's a crown. And here's the head. Okay. All right. What? Yeah. Uh, there's Glenn. Okay. So when God says that we're created in his image, this is a, a artist's rendition of a Babylonian boundary marker. It's the same word, image, or selim, okay? And so when a, when a Hebrew person would have heard, okay, I'm created in God's image, they would have been thinking of this Babylonian boundary marker. And so what these were is they would be set up at the boundaries of towns. So the way the culture worked back then, or the way it worked, you'd have, like, for example, like city-states. And so, um, like, we're in Pineville, Wardville, and there would, Alexandria is across the river. So the king of Wardville would go say, all right, I want to conquer Alexandria. So he goes next door, kills a bunch of people, conquers Alexandria. And then he sets his image up in Alexandria. And he says, this is mine. Alexandria now belongs to Glenn, okay? And this image of Glenn represents his reign and rule and dominion over Alexandria. So any Alexandrians who come, come along and they see, oh, this is Glenn, Glenville now. This is no longer Alexandria, this is Glenville because this image represents Glenn's reign and rule over this town. And he would do the same in Boyce and wherever else. Pollock, Ball, all of it, all of it. So Glenn can only be in one place, though. His, his, his castle or his uh, throne room will be in Pineville, you know, over on East Purser. Is that it? Um, he, but he, that's where he can be. He can't be everywhere. So he has to put up these images of himself all over the place to demonstrate his reign and rule over those places. So when God says in Genesis that we're created in his image, this is what they're thinking. God made us human beings. He put his image in us, right, so that we can demonstrate his reign and rule over the rest of creation. So everywhere humans go, they're declaring by, their, by our very existence, we're declaring God is in control. Yahweh is sovereign over this space. So that's a really, really different picture of life than you were created as a slave, right? And so when the Bible was written, it presents a different narrative of who we are. You're not slaves created to feed the gods. You're God's image bearers created to show his dominion and rule and reign over every part of creation. And that, of course, includes creating, creating things, making good coffee, um, everything else everyone does in here. <laughs> Singing opera, right? Um, making people buff. Um, all of those things, yeah, you know. Yeah, all of those things are demonstrating as they go out or do those things, all of those are demonstrating God's reign and rule over those aspects of this world, right? So it's not just, so it's a whole new way of looking at humanity that the Bible presents us. Um, and it's the, true story of everything. So we're made in God's image. We're his selim. We have 16 minutes. But then what happens? Yeah, the fall. 
We eat the fruit, okay? Um, Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent, give in and eat the fruit. The fall happens, okay? And so now um, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, right? They're um, not exited, expelled from God's presence. So there's a problem. First, gods are created and humans are created in God's image, living in God's presence, okay? But what happens is sin comes in and because of sin, they can't be in God's presence anymore because the fundamental problem of the Old Testament, and I think the whole Bible is, how can an unholy people dwell with an unholy God? Or how can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? He can't without the people dying. That's why you have the um, cherubim with the big flaming swords guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden because if they go in to God's throne room, the garden, then they'll die. Also, God doesn't want them to have access to the tree of life so that because they, you know, will be, you know, continually live in this fallen state, okay? So you have these cherubim protecting the people, essentially, from dying as a result of being in God's presence. So the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible, is answering this question of Genesis 3.15. Let's read that. Turn in your Bibles with me. And this is all going to bring us to Exodus and why Exodus matters. Exodus is a really important part in this story. Okay, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. You will strike his, or sorry, he will strike his, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, so Adam and Eve sin, Genesis 3.15, what? Do you have a different version? What? I said Exodus? Oh, oh, okay, so. Adam and Eve sin. God promises that there would be this offspring of the serpent who would come and crush the serpent, or, or the offspring of the woman, I'm sorry, who would come and crush the serpent's head, okay? The head crusher is coming. And so this is the first messianic promise. It's called the Proto-Euangelion, if you want to know. If you want to impress your family later, say Proto-Euangelion. The next time the Exodus 4 thing comes up, you can say... Have you thought about the Proto-Euangelion? Kind of, you know, the first gospel, huh? Yeah, yeah, the first gospel, Genesis three fifteen. There is, hey, how did you find that? That's amazing. No, it's not. Zach, if you're listening to this, Ronnie fixed everything. Okay. The first gospel, Genesis 3.15, promises that someone, a, some, a seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. All right. So, imagine with me. Is everything okay, Britt? With the kids? Okay. Um, imagine with me that you don't know who Jesus is, okay? You've never heard of Christ. You don't know who this head crusher is, is who this is going to be, all right? So this story of the Bible is very, has a whole lot of tension, 
and a whole lot of um, anticipation and suspense because the rest of the Bible is trying to answer this question. Who, who will crush the serpent's head? And that's what the rest of Genesis is, ask, is, is, is trying to answer that question. Okay, when Eve gives birth to Cain, she names him Cain. Cain. And she says, I have got, with the Lord's help, I have gotten a man. That's a play on words in Hebrew. But it's indicating she thinks that Cain is going to crush the serpent's head. But instead, he crushes Abel's head. Um, and so he's not going to be the head crusher, right? Well, I mean, he's not going to be this head crusher. Um, it's not Cain. Abel, obviously, it's not him because he dies a martyr's death, you know. Um, it's not going to be Seth. Um, it wasn't Adam, okay. And then the next big question is, is it going to be Noah, okay. So this is where God makes this covenant with Noah. Um, he wipes out everyone in the whole world, right, except for Noah and his family. And he says, okay, I'm going to start over with Noah, recreation. And so if you've never heard of Jesus and you're reading this, you think, is this going to be Noah? Is it going to be Noah? Like, is Noah going to be the one who finally crushes the serpent's head? First thing Noah does when he gets out the boat is what? Yeah, he gets drunk. He plants a vineyard, gets drunk, and then there's that whole thing with him and um, Ham, you know, or, yeah, Ham looks on his nakedness, um, and Noah curses Canaan, and all of these bad things happen, right? Okay, so it's not Noah. He fails, all right? But there's still, God has made this covenant with Noah that's this recreational covenant. So we're still moving forward toward who is going to crush the serpent's head. Who's the next big figure? Abraham. Okay, starting with Genesis 12. And this is the covenant, remember? I mentioned um, Yahweh remembers the covenant he made with the Israelites. This is the covenant he's remembering, okay? But Abraham, what are some problems with Abraham? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So the Lord narrows in on Abraham and says, look, I'm going to give you offspring. Okay, so we're reading Genesis and we think, okay, it's probably going to be Abraham. All right, who this seed is going to come through. Is he going to crush the serpent's head? Well, he tries to pass off Sarah as, as his sister so that the king can sleep with her and save his own neck. And he sleeps with Hagar because he gets, he gets too impatient for the Lord to bring about his promise, right? So it's like all messed up. Um, he has very unhinged sexual morals. It's not Abraham, even though he is a model of faith. Who's next? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, Isaac does the same thing that Abraham does. He's not going to crush the serpent's head. He's not going to set things right. Jacob is like the worst person in the Bible besides Judas. Okay? He does everything wrong. Um, and yet, the hope of Jacob, right, is that Clark... Huh? Yeah, Clark's a good Calvinist, so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, Jacob is the weaker, younger brother. Yahweh chooses him. He messes up over and over and over and over and over and over. He's obviously not going to crush the serpent's head because he keeps succumbing to the same temptations. All right? And so then we get to Jacob's 12 sons. And in Genesis, we have these strange narratives, right? Are you guys familiar with Levi and Simeon? Okay, Levi and Simeon. Well, let's start with Reuben. He's the firstborn. So maybe he will crush the serpent's head. But what Reuben sleeps with his father's wife. Oh, it's not Reuben. Levi and Simeon are the next in line. What do they do? Yeah, they like murder a whole town. Okay, it's not them. And that brings us down really to Judah. And then that, the line of Judah... That's who the kings are going to come from. So this is the fourth born son. All right. And so, but even Judah sins, right? Even Judah is not righteous. Is that whole ordeal with Tamar? Again, like the sexual ethics in Genesis, everybody's are really messed up. All right. And then Jacob's other son, Joseph, right? Is who we end up ending the book of Genesis with. And Joseph is the one who God uses to bring the people from Canaan into Egypt. So that sets up the stage for the book of Exodus, right? So we have no one yet has crushed the serpent's head. The people are in Exodus, are in Egypt, the land of Goshen. Everything is great and wonderful. Um, we'll talk some more about the historical context of like um, Asiatic or Semitic tribes coming to power in Egypt and how that may have influenced the Pharaoh in the first few chapters of Exodus. But what, we want to, what I want to end with tonight is that the people are in Egypt because Exodus, uh, Genesis 50, 20. This is why Joseph says they're in Egypt. You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people just as he's doing today. So Joseph tells the brothers, look, you planned this for evil, but God meant it for good, you know, the saving of many lives. And so the people of Israel end up in Egypt, not in Canaan. Remember, the Lord told Abraham when he called him, he said, come out of Ur and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Abraham ends up in Canaan where his family lives until Jacob and the 12 sons, there's a great famine. They end up going to Egypt in the land of Goshen. And we'll show on a map where that is. Thanks for the reminder. This group, who was it? Yeah, Kara. Um, they're in Goshen. And that's where kind of the story ends. The book of Genesis ends. And we still don't have a head crusher, right? It's not Abraham. It's not Isaac. It's not Jacob. It's not Judah, Reuben, Levi, Simeon. Um, it's not any of the other brothers. They're just kind of minor players in the rest of it. And it's not Joseph uh, because he ends up dying, right? Um, and so we end the book of Genesis still wondering who is going to crush the serpent's head. And again, remember, if you are an Israelite, you're hanging on to this promise of Abraham, of this covenant that the Lord has made with you, and you're hanging on to this idea that God is going to send someone to rescue you from sin, right? He's going to rescue you from evil, all of, all of you. But if you don't know about Jesus yet, you're still wondering who is going to be this person. And the book of Exodus 
is opening us up to a, a new person and a new people in this story, right? So remember, how does an unholy God, or sorry, an unholy people dwell with the holy God? Genesis 3, God, Genesis 1, God creates us in his image for, to live in relationship with him. Genesis 3, the fall, sin enters, people are kicked out of God's presence, but there's a promise that they will one day again be in God's presence from this head crusher. We find out the rest of Genesis, God's presence, they don't get in God's presence yet because we're still waiting on this head crusher. And then the book of Exodus is going to open up and we're going to learn about God's presence in the tabernacle. We're going to learn about the next big um, step in this plan of redemption, in this um, head crusher that's going to culminate in Jesus Christ. Um, Of course, it's going to be uh, Moses leading the people out of Israel and it moves from we have this narrowing right a narrowing down from the whole world to Abraham Isaac Jacob and then it kind of expands again to the whole people of Israel the whole people are God's plan for redemption in this and I'll unpack that later in the sense that they are to be a kingdom of priests right they're supposed to be mediating God's presence to others we're going to find out that, you know, obviously it doesn't happen so well. So it's a new chapter in God's plan of redemption. Um, and we'll learn also about the role that the tabernacle plays in restoring or re- bringing back God's presence uh, to his people. All right. Any, any final questions? What's your name? What's your name? Yeah, it's the same one, same person, yeah. Like, so they're, like, the same, like, you mean today or, like, in general, like? Yeah, absolutely, so. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, I think so. Like, that is, like, the head cruiser is the Messiah, so they're, like, connecting these two, thinking, okay, when, you know, when's it gonna happen? Yeah, he's leading them out of Israel, and, yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Like the grumbling and complaining? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, ultimately, they're... Yeah, that's a really good question. Let me think on it. And Yeah. Go think, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep, Brother Clark, you want to pray for us? Sure.